Welcome to Dare a New Belief, a place to discover what is possible for your life after the loss of a loved one, and where you will find inspiration, insight, support, and love, and hopefully a bit of laughter to help you through your day. Now, here's your host, Nada Hogan. Welcome to Dare a New Belief, where you will find light and life, love and joy, healing, faith, and hope, a place where you get to believe in what is possible for your life. And today I have the great honor to be with Katie Elliott. Katie is the host of Adventures in Behavior Change podcast. She is also a successful author, artist, musician, and the creator of Amico Cards. I hope I said that right. If not, she'll correct me on that. I'm Amico. It's Amico Cards. She is the creative mind behind Little Challenges, where she uses ideas, inspiration, and practical tools to help make the messy business of being human just a little bit easier. Katie had noticed that when she started something new, it would go well, and then she would fall apart. It was as if she was programmed to fail. And when Katie had a life-changing breakdown in 2016, she started to teach herself how to have a happier, healthier, more productive life. And within four months, she no longer qualified for any mental health diagnosis for the first time in her adult life. And she has remained well ever since. Oh, what a blessing, Katie. Hello and welcome <laughs> to the show. Hello. Hello. How lovely to be with you. Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful because um, I just adore you. And you and I only have known one another for a, a few days. And that was over a <laughs> year ago. <laughs> and so to be able to connect with you here feels so good to me. And, and I just I love your story. I love your energy. I love being inside of your energy. Um, I love you. Um, and so I just kind of want to dive in here so the audience gets to know about you um, because I think I, you just have a great story and I, I just love sharing this with people. So first I would love to ask you, Katie, why is it that you do the work that you do? And maybe you should tell us what is that work that you do? <laughs> so the work that I do is I, I'm trying to understand how to make being human a little bit easier because I, I found it really, really difficult for a long time. And I've started to discover some things that have helped me to feel happier and healthier. And because I know what it's like to really struggle, it matters to me a lot to try and share what I learn. Not because I think that the same things will have the same impact on other people, because I know that we're all different, but I just feel like the more we can do to help one another along the way, and hold out a hand and maybe offer some encouragement or some suggestions or just a bit of friendship, the better it is. Mm, I love that. How beautiful is that? It's just so beautiful. Do you see why I love you so much? I mean, my goodness, how beautiful <laughs> is that? I love it. So, so how did you discover that being human just wasn't so easy. What what were the things that you were stumbling <laughs> up against? Well, just even as a child, I was very anxious. Mm -hmm. I think I've always been one of those people who thinks a lot. So I spend a lot of time in my head 
And sometimes I forget that I've got a body attached to it, I think, because I'm so busy in my own mind trying to process things and trying to understand things. And I mean, that can be very positive. There are all sorts of good things that can come from that. But there are many mysteries. I think you would agree. (laughs) The experience of being here, it's quite a mysterious one. And there are lots of things that we don't have language for. And there are lots of things that we don't understand. So if you're obsessed with the idea of understanding everything and pinning it down, it can lead you to some fairly frustrating and uh, unhealthy places, I found. Mm -hmm. So even from the age of about 12, I started really struggling with my mental health and getting anxious and depressed and wondering why I felt different to everybody else. I don't think I realized back then that probably everybody feels different. (laughs) It's part of the human condition for us to feel as if we don't quite fit in and wonder if we're good enough and all of those things that we can kind of persecute ourselves with. But I I kind of went through that in a fairly intense way and and started having breakdowns as a teenager, regularly having time off school, regularly just feeling totally inadequate and hopeless. And it continued into my adult life and basically just got worse as the years went on. And it didn't seem to matter what I achieved. Having beautiful children didn't seem to fix anything and having good jobs and writing books and publishing them and being a successful musician, I kept thinking that something was going to be the answer to how miserable I felt on the inside. But actually nothing was. And so I continued along that path until 2016 when I had a massive breakdown and uh, did my best not to be here anymore. But fortunately, I didn't do a very good job. So um, I am here. And since then, everything's changed. Wow. So I just have a couple of questions. So with with the breakdown that you had in 2016, and you said that um, you were trying not to be here, was that something, were you trying to take your own own life or or was it just that subconscious mind that was trying to, to physically take you out? I mean, I'm assuming that's what you're meaning, either mentally take you out so you don't ever have to show up again, or like mentally fit, like your whole entire body is gone. Like, like you uh, well, I, I, I had already kind of absented myself in, in the sense that I was quite heavily medicated for a long time because oh. I, I thought that because I was clearly so broken that the best thing I could do was kind of sedate myself. Um, I mean, you know, but I, I went to see psychiatrists and they gave me various cocktails of drugs and, and I didn't like taking them because I didn't feel much like me anymore. But it seemed like a reasonable thing to do because I felt like I was just causing mayhem for everyone around me. So to to at least be sedated and not be causing any problems seemed like a good idea for a while. But uh, by the time I got to 2016, um, you know, even even the medication wasn't really helping. And no, I did attempt to take my own life. Now. Oh, wow. See, now this, I did not know this. I did not. I was, I was very, I'm very surprised to know this. Did did you, I'm assuming this is (laughs) so caught up in the time. It's like, is it 2020 or 2016? (laughs) So four years ago, you had children then, Katie, I'm assuming. Yes. And it's unthinkable. It's unthinkable for me now to look back at that time and to genuinely have believed that they would have been better off if I weren't here. But I can tell you that however much I loved them, at that point, 
that seemed like the best thing I can do, I could do. And, and now I can't get my head around it. But I guess that gives you an indication of how disturbed my thinking was at that time. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, and please know, like, absolutely no judgment, because I understand, I'd never, I understand to the extent of I have been in that place where I've been low enough to think, repetitively to think, oh, my God, if I didn't have to be here, how, how much easier this would be if I just didn't have to be here. And I did have young kids at the time. Um, I didn't, I didn't do anything, um, you know, to, to attempt to take my life, but that thought many times had, had crept up into my head. Um, so, so do your kids, how old are your kids now? Can I ask you that? Or is that something you'd like to keep private? They're, they're pretty much adults. So they're, they're, um, they're 18 and 16. So yes, I mean, they were, they were very much aware of what was happening, I suppose. I mean, not all of it at the time, but that they knew that I was very unwell and they knew that I did things that didn't make sense, that were occasionally alarming that, you know, now they look back on it and kind of laugh at how weird it all seems. In fact, I was talking to my son today and he was saying, "It, it seems crazy now to remember what it was like then because things are so different but uh yes we've had very honest conversations about all of that and and to to speak about those things yeah. with your children is a is a bizarre thing you know i i still i still have to overcome a sense of shame i suppose because It's, I think, one of the hardest things, actually, after attempting suicide is making peace with what you've done, because life is such a gift. And to go through that process of feeling that you don't want it and the, the potential impact on all of the people around you is, is a massive thing. And I think for a long time after I was in hospital the hardest thing really was to find any kind of compassion or forgiveness for myself because I just felt on top of all of the pain that I had been experiencing as a result of my mental health problems, I just felt so ashamed. Like, how could I have done that? It was really hard to live with the fact that I'd got to that place. And I think that can be um, something that compounds the problems that people face when they feel utterly hopeless that on top of that, if you feel ashamed, it's quite hard to come back from that. And I had to somehow learn that it wasn't going to help anybody for me to persecute myself with that kind of shame, that that actually didn't lead me anywhere healthy. And it wasn't going to help me to become a good parent. And it wasn't going to help me to write some of the things that had got kind of turned upside down along the way. But it felt like the last thing I was capable of doing, to be honest, because I just felt like such a bad person. Mm. Oh, Katie, man, I'm telling you, my heart just my heart just hurts for you because um, like I said, I really I had no idea our conversation was going to go here. I just didn't know. And and I'm so grateful for your honesty and your openness and willingness to share this because it, it didn't and this is how I think we heal ourselves and the world is allowed to start healing because that part 
of if somebody has attempted suicide and they weren't successful in it, then coming back and then the shame that that comes with that, my God, I can't, I mean, I think that we shame ourselves enough. Just if everything in our life is seemingly pretty okay, I think we shame ourselves like crazy. So then to have this other thing that's so stigmatized and right now, I don't know what the statistics are, but I know the numbers are astronomical with people um, dying by suicide right now. And so that shame piece that carries with it. Um, I mean, I just want to reach through here and just hold you and hold your heart and just tell you how much I love you and how how honored I am that, not that I'm honored by that, but the strength in you and the courage in you to be able to, to face that because that pain and heaviness and fear of that shame had to have been as painful if not even more of the anxiety and the depression and the mental health stuff that was going on. And then the shame on top of it. I mean, my gosh, it's almost like it's such a horrible dichotomy. That's like, forget it. Now it's worse than ever. <laughs> right. I mean, is that, is that that's accurate? exactly, that's exactly how it felt. Yes. Oh. And the temptation to, the thing is when, when you are suffering in your mind, in the way that I was, in the way that many people do, Generally, underneath that, there's a very, very critical inner voice. Generally, when people are going through that kind of pain, they they have a very kind of active inner life that's telling them that they're not good enough, that uh, that, that that's criticizing what they do, that that's finding shame in in their actions. There's you know, very often there's a lot of very nasty stuff going on on the inside. And that was certainly my experience. I, I'd habitually been quite horrible to myself in a way that I would never, never have wanted to be to anyone else. But I, I thought it was perfectly acceptable to talk to myself on the inside as if I was worthless. Mm. And and so when I came out of the hospital and I was trying to face up to what I had done and, and how that was affecting everyone, the temptation to continue that process of being cruel was was great. You know, it seemed like the obvious thing to do. Uh, I, I clearly had done something that had had a major impact on people that I loved um, had had turned life upside down in all sorts of ways, had caused lots of hurt. It had broken friendships. It had done all kinds of things that I couldn't fix. And so the temptation to be very harsh with myself was was strong. But I realised that that would lead me straight back into the hospital or worse, that there was really only one direction that that was taking me. And so although it was completely counterintuitive, what I had to learn was extreme kindness mm. and love, actually, because beating yourself up does not fix anything <laughs> at all. Right. Right. And learning to treat yourself with compassion and to understand that, you know, we are all wonderfully, hilariously flawed. We all <laughs> do such stupid things sometimes. 
we all make mistakes. We all get upset and angry and, you know, kind of caught up in all sorts of things quite unnecessarily. And we go around causing havoc <laughs> in yeah. the world quite innocently. Yes. And and that to treat ourselves harshly for, for not being perfect and for being a bit silly <laughs> isn't really an appropriate response. You know, we need to learn how to treat ourselves a bit like we're a, you know, young pet or something. <laughs> have a little bit of a giggle and and just sort of nudge ourselves back in line rather than rather than all of this shame and guilt and recrimination and criticism. And and that's that's what I started learning, and that was what made the difference. But as I say, it was completely counterintuitive. It was the last thing I felt entitled to do. Oh, I would imagine. I would I would just bet and right now because it's so counterintuitive and it's the complete opposite end of that that scale. So how were you introduced were you introduced to like I, I have to be able to have extreme kindness and love and compassion for myself. Did you just discover that somehow? Or because I think we are always led. We are always led to everything. And um, mm -hmm. so I'm curious how you came about this counterintuitive way of treating yourself. Because obviously this was the the path where all of your healing began and where all of these beautiful things have sprung from since since 2016 and probably all of your childhood all of your life all of this beautiful stuff is springing forward but but this was a big catalyst in 2016 so where did that come from that that counterintuitiveness where you knew i needed to do this differently <laughs> well it's a funny thing <laughs> it's a funny thing that i can't quite explain but i'll tell you what happened so one day, about a month after I came out of the hospital, when I was feeling more hopeless and more ashamed than I'd ever felt in my whole life, I got up in the morning and I, you know, by the time I got up and out of bed, I was already crying. And it had been the weekend of my son's birthday. And I'd spent the whole weekend trying to be happy and doing my very best to look happy on the outside and just feeling more broken than I can ever remember feeling. I remember it hurt to breathe. I guess that sometimes happens with heartbreak and grief and things, but I, you know, I felt, I felt so broken that, that even, yeah, even breathing, I can't quite explain it, but it was physically painful. And from moment to moment, I was just thinking, I don't know how to continue with this because it hurts so much. Um, so I got up that day and I was crying and I went to my desk and I went to my computer and I opened up a new document, a blank document, and I started typing. And I didn't know what I was typing and I didn't know why I was typing, but I read back what I'd written and it said... I'm going to help you get better. Oh. It said, I'm the coach and I'm going to help you get better. And what you have to do is you have to turn up every day for a year and write to me. And I was oh. so amazed <laughs> because I had no idea what was going on. 
I just, I just sat there. I mean, I stopped crying because I was too surprised to carry on crying. Yeah. I just sat there and looked at it. And, and I wondered, you know, I thought, what am I doing? Who, who is this? And I, I started writing back and I said, well, okay, you know, what, what, what is this? What am I doing? What's happening here? And this, this other part of myself, whatever it was, said, you have to show up every single day and promise me that you won't hurt yourself. Show up every day for a year and write, and we will figure out how to get through this. Wow. Will you do it? And so I, I wrote yes, not really knowing what I was doing, but it, it began a conversation. Um, and I, I seem to remember that the next thing that happened was this other, this other part of me, this other voice said, right, well, why don't you go and make yourself a cup of tea <laughs> and then wow. come back? So I did. I made myself a cup of tea and I came back and then we started writing and I wrote every day actually for 15 months. And then after the 15 months, I carried on the conversation in my head because I realized I didn't need to write anymore. But for the longest time, I didn't know what that was, what I'd experienced. I, I didn't know if I was channeling something. I didn't know if it was some kind of deeply spiritual experience. I had no idea what was going on, really. And the conclusion I came to was that actually I, it was a way for me to get through to another part of myself, a part of myself that was much more compassionate, that was much wiser, the the part of myself that would show up and would be nice to a friend if, if a friend was in distress, you know, that knew the right thing to say. I was able to talk to myself from that place, mm. but I'd never been able to do that before. And uh, it was, it was like making, I mean, it sounds like such a cliche, but it was like, making friends with yourself and that's what I did I found a friend on the inside at a time when I'd kind of stretched my friendships in the outside world to breaking point and I felt very alone and somehow I managed to access a source of friendship and compassion and love that was within me that I'd never known about before oh my goodness that is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. And I love so much that every single person has this part of themselves that is this kinder, much nicer, so much more compassionate, loving self that we all have that. Do you agree with that or no? I do. I, I, I honestly think that on the inside, we have absolute access to wisdom and love and kindness and all of those things it's just that sometimes we don't know how to reach it but I have no doubt that it's there oh my gosh absolutely absolutely and so what I want to talk to you about next is about how how is it how is it that you help people to reach that part of them because I know that's part of the work that you do the cards, your program, your coaching, we have so many things to talk about. And I want to swing back to even being young at, at 12 years old when you um, were having breakdowns and missing school. I want to even swing back with that. So 
um, Katie, as it is, we always run out of time because it seems like it's five minutes and my gosh, almost half an hour. has gone by. It's, it's crazy to me how time just whips on these. So would you be willing to come back next week and continue this conversation where we can dive in, um, in, into more information about your programs and your cards and the little challenges and, and all of these things that you have done that are so helpful and beautiful for other people? Oh, I'd love to. Yes. Oh, fabulous. Fabulous. So as I am wrapping this one up, I think that you have some kind of a special gift that you would like to offer to the listeners. Am I am I right on that? Yes, that's right. Yes, I, I wrote uh, a little a little booklet called An A to Z of Resilience. And it's some of the some of the lessons that I've been learning about how to be a bit more resilient and and a bit healthier and happier in life. So I've written that and I'd love to give you a copy of that. And you can find that at my website. OK, awesome. Fantastic. And your website is and just for, so the listeners know this will be in the show notes. So please don't worry about trying to write this down. If you're driving, it will be in the show notes. So your website is what, Katie? So it's littlechallenges.com. And if you go to littlechallenges.com forward slash dare, you'll find a special page just for listeners to your podcast. Oh, that is so sweet. And oh, did you say dare, D-A-R-E? Yes. Oh, I just love it. Oh, my God. My heart is just like, like, uh. You know, on the Grinch who stole Christmas when his heart grew like seven sizes too big, my heart is just like, I don't know, 17 sizes too big. It's just it's all these tears <laughs> are up in my eyes. And I, I just, oh, man, it's such, I'm so grateful you're here. I mean, on this call with me, but I'm so grateful you're here on this planet because your story is powerful and it's precious. And it's healing for so many people. So I look forward to carrying on this conversation so people can know where you're at and what is going on with your beautiful life now and how it is that you're able to help other people. Um, and so I'm going to I'm going to sign off and, and tell you thank you so much for being with us um, this week, Katie, because I'm so excited to get into next week and, and talk about all the beautiful things <laughs> that are you, going Nita. on. Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are so welcome. Thank you. And for all of the listeners, please be sure to join in on next week with part two with Katie, because um, what she has done with her life is just so fabulous and beautiful and, and warm and cuddly. And it just feels so good being in her space. I was in your website a lot for the last few days and it just feels so good in there, Katie. So Again, thank you so very much. And listeners, please come back next week to hear part two of Katie's beautiful life and what it is she's doing, um, offering to the world and how she's showing up to help others live a much better life. Um, thank you so much, Katie. So much love to you. Thank you and to you. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please go to nadahogan.com for show notes and other information you can use right away. If you like what you heard here, please subscribe to our show. And don't forget to rate and review right there on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. We'll see you next week.